First Peter chapter two. We're going to start. We're going to be in one twenty-two through two nine. But this is First Peter chapter two, verse nine. It says, but "You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession." that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Uh, the famous Green Bay Packers coach Vince Lombardi is, is, is famous for his emphasis on the fundamentals of, of football. And so he would start off the, the, the season of practice every year uh, reportedly with, gentlemen, this is a football. Um, and now as we're walking through the deep theological truths of Romans, this morning my hope is to remind us again of the basic fundamentals of our faith. God's purpose for the church is that we would be a set-apart community of people proclaiming God's goodness to the world around us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. God, we thank you that in your word you instruct us, you teach us what you're like, you convict us of sin, you comfort us with your grace. And God, I pray that as we come to your word this morning, we would have ears to hear, open hearts to, to receive your word. Open minds, God, that, that would, whatever your word says is true about us is what is true about us. God, I pray that you would give us grace to live out our calling and our identity as a community on mission. God, I pray that we would come submit underneath, under your word, God. Your word would just reign in our lives. Father God, be with me as I speak. Guard me from error. Help me to speak graciously. Help me to speak in a way that benefits your people that you paid for with your blood on the cross. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you a basic outline of kind of where we're headed this morning. Uh, that will help you know and follow along and also know when we're getting done. Um, so uh, first off, I want to look at kind of a big picture review of 1 Peter walking through up into the text that we're looking at this morning. So that's first part, big picture review. And, and ultimately, that part right there you could put under the heading of just gospel. Okay. Secondly, I want to look at the gospel community and the call to love one another earnestly. So gospel community. And then thirdly, um, you might know where this is going. Thirdly, mission together, the call to proclaim God's goodness together. So gospel, community, mission, and we will throw in a few to the glory of God's and get the worship piece in, and then we'll have our church values of gospel, community, mission, and worship. So that's where we're headed this morning, gospel, community, and mission. So look with me at First Peter chapter 1, starting there in verse 1. And this is what we see. Uh, the, uh, Peter begins his whole letter. He begins his whole letter to these churches 
with what I think is one of my favorite phrases in the Bible, a beautiful two-word phrase that's just packed with rich gospel truth. And he says this, he says, to those who are elect exiles, elect exiles. That is, Peter is writing to those who are chosen by God, elect, and yet rejected by the world, exiles. In two words, he is introducing deep gospel identity that he will carry throughout the rest of his letter. In two words, he reminds his readers that they are chosen by God and yet rejected by the world. He goes on later in chapter 2 to say, believers, Christian believers are that way because our Christ was that way. That Jesus was the cornerstone chosen by God and yet he was rejected by the world. Peter writes to Christians who had literally been exiled from their home and were living dispersed throughout the, the land, and yet he, as he writes, he makes clear that their status as exiles is actually the universal status shared by every Christian everywhere. From the beginning, from the beginning, Peter introduces the reality that the church is to be a counterculture community that stands apart from the broader community and yet stands apart in such a way that calls out to the broader culture, you can be free too. Moving on to verse 3. Peter goes into, he opens his letter, the body of his letter, with just rich gospel truth. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I don't know when I can stop reading this passage. It's just so good. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the res- revelation of Jesus Christ. Gospel, gospel truth. The church is to be a counterculture community because of the gospel. Because of the good news, because of that wonderful news that apart from anything that we deserve, God has saved us. He sent his son and he has saved us. The good news of Jesus Christ crucified on a cross for our sins must change us from a broader culture around us. And, and, and going on in, in Peter, so we see this truth of elect exiles, we see the gospel truth of 3 through 9 there, and going on in 13, we see a call, we see that setting our hope, the gospel, that great news, setting our hope on that good news leads us to be a holy people. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that that's such good news that we can continue to set our hope on. And then that leads us into the holiness there of 14 through 21. And so that brings us to our passage this morning. So 
In summary, we pick up the letter this morning in 122, knowing that Peter has already unpacked the glorious good news of the gospel, that that good news gives Christians a hope that we can bank our lives on, that banking our lives on that hope necessarily leads to holiness, and then brings us to the section we focus on today. So, 122. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever." And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So that's where we are in 1 Peter. And And this morning, there's so much, so much, so much goodness in that text, and so much that we won't be able to cover. And I want to look at large themes of that text this morning. I want to look at some big picture stuff, and we won't get down to uh, all all of the great stuff in there. So first off, gospel community and the call to love one another earnestly. I want you to As we look at a couple of these verses, I want you to look and see everything that is commanded, everything that is stated as our identity as Christians, and then everything that is uh, assumed about who we are as Christians through this text. And one of the things that I want us to see this morning is I want you to notice, okay, the plural nature of this text, that this text this morning talks to a group of people. It doesn't talk primarily to individuals, but all of the words here talk to a group of people. 
So 122 says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for its sincere brotherly love, love one another. That's, that, that's, that's something you can't do on your own, right? You can't just do that by yourself. You have to love one another. That's, that's plural. 2.5, and this is my favorite. If you have a, a different translation, like an NIV, I think it just says, um, it just uses the word you, but... I'm uh, born and raised here in the South, and if we had a couple more Southerners on the translation committee here, we could get this one, get this one a little bit more right. Really, verse 2, 5, it says, you yourselves in the ESV, that's good, you yourselves like living stones, really, it, it could be y'all, okay, it's talking about a plural you, y'all, right, use guys if you're from up north, y'all, uh, y'all like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. That's a plural. And, and what he's saying here is that together, like a bunch of different stones, y'all are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Priesthood is plural of priest. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So one of the things that Peter is saying here is that faithfulness as a Christian, and the, our reality as Christians is something that we need the whole community, the whole family of God to do well. Commenting on chapter 2, verse 5, one biblical, biblical scholar notes this. He says, Peter was not thinking mainly of each individual functioning as a priest before God. The focus here is on the church corporately as God's set-apart priesthood in which the emphasis is likely on believers functioning as priests. And, and, and this is where we need to listen here. Western believers tend to individualize the notion of priesthood rather than seeing the community emphasis. We must avoid, however, focusing on the individual. For Protestants are prone to individualize the text in a way that blunts or even denies its corporate emphasis. It's plural. On into 2 9, okay? You are a chosen race. Solo, you're not a race, you're a person. You can't, race is plural. A royal priesthood, holy nation, okay? You're not a nation. On your own, that's a, that's, a, that's a group word, a people. These are, this, this is a corporate thing. And as Americans, we are so prone to individualize our faith and think that we can just walk out and follow Jesus uh, solo on our own. But, but, but the New Testament doesn't allow that. God's design is that we, as a collective holy community, would gather together to be a testimony of his grace by the way we love one another, by the holiness of our lives, by the way you grow up in salvation, by the way you live counterculture to the world around you, and by the way that you proclaim the excellencies of him that called you out of darkness. And so I think you could imagine it like this. Imagine that a broken world is demanding evidence for God. Imagine that people in our broken world, as they gaze around, ask the question, what has gone wrong here? 
Imagine that they needed an apologetic, a defense for the gospel. God's design is that in such a broken, lost world, he will have a holy people that is redeemed, that is bought back from their rebellion, so that his reply to the demand for evidence is, look at my church. Have you ever seen this kind of love and care for one another? Jesus did that. Have you ever seen the kind of holiness and goodness? Jesus did that. Have you ever seen a people proactive and moving to alleviate the suffering of those around them? Jesus did that. God's grand design is that he would have a people, plural, that collectively are a testimony of his gospel. And so, some application here. Here's the reality, church family. Um, discipleship, following Jesus, happens in relationships. And life-giving, iron-sharpening iron relationships aren't formed at our Sunday gatherings alone. This is why at New Branch we have base groups that are smaller communities that meet throughout the week to help one another grow in our relationship with Jesus, grow in our love for one another, and grow in our mission together for the glory of God. But here's the other thing. Our base group meeting times, that time alone still isn't enough. That time alone still isn't enough to love one another earnestly. The kind of biblical community that the New Testament envisions is the nitty-gritty good stuff of actually living like we're the family of God. It's when one of our members is in a motorcycle accident and families rally around to visit them, make meals for them, sit and watch TV with him, make sure that their grass gets cut, and point him to Jesus in the midst of very real suffering. That's the good stuff of biblical community. It's when one of us loses a loved one and the family of God circles around them to care for them, support them, and bless them in the midst of that loss. It's when disease strikes and the family of God steps up to bear the burden together with them. It's when the flu wipes out your entire family and someone from your base group makes a home delivery of Pedialyte and medicine. That's the good stuff of biblical community. It's one of your base group members needs to get his car fixed and the group rallies together and together ponies up over $2,000 to get him back in his car. when you have people in your life that you can confess your depression to and they can walk with you in the midst of that and point you to Jesus. It's when you have people in your life who can pull you aside and say, hey man, I think that's sin. I think you should repent of that and seek forgiveness. That's the good stuff of biblical community. That's the kind of family that God's gospel creates. All of those examples are true 
stories from here at New Branch. That's the good stuff of biblical community. And these kinds of relationships, okay, require us to know one another. Knowing one another requires time together. There's just no way around that. If you want relationship with someone, you have to spend time with them. Not just Sunday morning and not just base group meeting time. If we're going to live as the family of God, if we're going to obey the command here in verse 22 to love one another earnestly from a pure heart, then we simply must live life on life with one another enough that we know one another's needs, we know one another's hang-ups, and we know one another well enough to encourage one another, to have the privilege of bearing with one another, and to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And so here's a practical application I want to encourage you in. I know some, some of you already do this, and so you're like, wait, great, I already did my homework, I don't have anything to do. Um, keep at it. But this week... Set a time, and the time doesn't have to be this week, but this week, set a time to get together with someone from the church and do something. Grab some coffee, take your kids to the park, go run errands together, go for a hike, eat some chicken wings, tackle some project at your house, whatever it is that you do, get, schedule a time to get together with some other brothers and sisters from the church and just spend some time together. Get something on the calendar. And, and on this point, I know, I know what your, one of your objections is, and I know what one of my own objections is, and that's this. I don't have time for that, right? And so here's, here's what I want to offer on, those, on that. If this is Bible and you're a Christian, we don't have a choice. See, like, if this is just me talking, this is just, like, my opinion about how church could be nice, then, like, take it or leave it, right? But if this is our calling, if this is who we are as believers in Christ— then we're not afforded the luxury of picking and choosing what aspects of that calling we're going to walk out in. We live in a busy culture, but we're supposed to be a counterculture. Yes, we live in a busy culture, but far be it from us if our calendars are so full that we don't have time for the family of God that we have been adopted into. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. In a world that's running around at breakneck speed, the family of God has to rise up and say, I will make time to love one another earnestly. And second, if this is a Bible, then this is life-giving, God-glorifying, joy-producing, life-to-the-full kind of truth. This is not a burden, though on the front end of figuring out how to do this better and walk out in this more, it does feel like maybe it's just something else to do on an already packed to-do list, but once you shift to a life of 
living in biblical community, loving one another. You don't want to go back. Think of it. The grand story of history of the Bible is that God created everything and it was good. He created man and he told them to multiply little worshipers of God on the earth. Right? Our church is pretty good at that. He, he, he created man and told him to multiply worshipers of God on the earth. But man in our rebellion, rebellion sinned and fell into darkness and sin. But God worked to save us from our sin, sending Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin, so that if you place your faith in Jesus and in so doing lay down your rebellion against God, he will make you new. And as a new creation, you live as a growing example of what humanity is supposed to be like. You live to say, isn't it wonderful being under the reign of Christ? We have a great king and the design of God is that his church would be filled with those who he, that he has saved and collectively live out the redeemed image of God, loving one another earnestly in front of a broken world. So that Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So, we do it together, not just alone. We do it as the body of Christ collectively. We do it as the church. But God's purpose doesn't end with just being a community. We are a community with a mission. Again, 2, 9 through 12. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. Why were you chosen? Why are you a set-apart people? Why is there a community that you may proclaim the excellencies of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous life? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. This is Hosea language here. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles... That's your Christian identity, sojourners and uh, exiles, that's countercultural people. I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among outsiders, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Mission together. The, God, the call to proclaim God's goodness together. Uh, all of the talk, a mission, still plural. A chosen race, priesthood, nation, people for his own pre- possession. As a set-apart people, God's people are set apart to proclaim the excellencies of God. And this is... Uh, exhilarating good news for me. Like, this is exhilarating, exciting stuff. Base group, people from my base group, I'm sorry, you can go to sleep for the next 10 minutes because you've heard me talk about this all the time. But this is good, good stuff here, right? Like, when Adam sinned and sin entered the world and corrupted the world, okay, God began unfolding his plan to rescue the world. 
So in Genesis 3, we have the first signs of the gospel. And then in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham and makes a covenant with Abraham that out of Abraham, he was going to make a great nation that enjoyed a special relationship with God. And he promised that by him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And then eventually, out of Abraham's descendants comes the Old Testament nation of Israel, God's chosen nation. And God gave them the law. And in the law, he laid down what it looked like to be his people so that the nation of Israel would be a nation set apart from the other nations around them. And, and, and then Israel had times when they did this better and at times where they didn't do it so well. And God's purpose wasn't complete yet because eventually out of Israel comes Jesus. And Jesus comes in his earthly ministry. He proclaims the good news of what life in his kingdom is like. And then sinless Jesus goes to the cross and dies in the place of sinful men, paying our debt taking our punishment, then rising again. And remember, in the book of Acts, he rises again. He tells them, he says, you will be my, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So then on in Acts chapter 2, Peter, who previously was scared Peter running around denying Jesus, even to like little servant girls, Peter receives the Holy Spirit upon him. He stands up in Jerusalem. He preaches the the, the message of the gospel, and 3,000 people in Jerusalem trust in Christ. And and then it says, at at the end of chapter 2, it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And then in the end of chapter 7, things, chapter 8, things aren't looking quite so well for the church as Saul stones Stephen to death. But what happens? Eight, chapter, chapter 8, verse 1. It says that there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. They're all still in Jerusalem. Persecution arises, and they get scattered, and then the gospel goes like wildfire, then to Judea and Samaria, and to make matters worse, right? Like, to make matters not worse, better, to make matters even better, chapter 9 God totally intervenes with Paul's free will, knocks him down. Jesus speaks to him. Paul trusts in Christ. A few chapters later, in 12, he is being sent out to the ends of the earth to go plant gospel churches. And now here we are, okay, 2,000 years later, 7,000 miles from that place, and the gospel goes forth with God continuing to pursue sinners and call people back to himself call people to the image of God that they were supposed to live in all the time. That is awesome. That is amazing that God would take someone like me, someone like you, and he would let us be in a part of that plan where he's going to take a broken, fallen world and he's going to put it back together and he's going to let me have a part in that. That is amazing. And here in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is Peter applying terms about Israel, applying them to the church, saying that this is my chosen people. This is the unfolding of God's mission. It is applying the titles of Israel to the church, each one an allusion to an Old Testament text. And Peter is saying that these texts are fulfilled in the church. Plural. Plural. Okay? 
here's, here's the reality, and I think this will help us as we, because as, look, at New Branch, we've heard a lot about mission, right? We've heard a lot about making disciples. Um, I, think, I think there's a couple things that can help us here. Recognize plural of going with mission, on mission, okay? Recognize this. Jesus sends his disciples out two by two. Paul, he goes out with a team, right? Almost my entire church life, evangelism has been lifted up as either only one-on-one conversations or church events. And here's the biblical reality. One-on-one mission is the exception to the rule in the New Testament. You have Jesus and the Samaritan woman. You have Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. What else? All the other examples of going with the gospel is going together with the people of God. And most of the gospel sharing in the New Testament takes place outside of the church gathering. I'll, I'll give you a head start on, your, on a base group discussion question tonight that I haven't emailed out yet, but we'll get to those two leaders. Um, what would it look like if you lived on mission with your base group family rather than only trying to go at it one-on-one? Think about that. What would it look like if you did it together with your base group family? Imagine if you leveraged all the gifts of the body of Christ for the mission and not just your own gifts. Imagine if your efforts at mission were reinforced by your friends having a view of the biblical apologetic for the gospel, namely how the church loves one another. What if your friends got to see that? What if you got to love your community, got to love your friends, family, coworkers, all of that, like they were part of the family of God? Here's the thing. Like, I believe if we can deconstruct some of our ideas about what evangelism is and reconstruct them with biblical vision for evangelism, then living a life on mission is actually a whole lot easier than you think, and it's a whole lot more fun than we think it is. According to the Bible, mission can and should be done together. According to the Bible, there's a whole lot of mission going on around meals. Who doesn't like to eat, right? Read through Luke, see how many times Jesus is presenting his teachings about the kingdom of God, and he's eating a meal with people. Then fire up your grill, invite some neighbors, coworkers, friends over, and, and, and you have a biblical license for you to smoke some meat to the glory of God. Hospitality. Like, I know a lot of you, we think about evangelism, you're like, I can't go talk to someone about Jesus, I don't know what to say or whatever, but look, you can practice hospitality. I know you can practice hospitality because you do it with other people and you're so good at it, so practice hospitality. Love people. Invite them into your, your homes. Hear their stories. And speak the gospel. Here's the application I want to encourage you in. Again, I know some of you are already so good. They already do this. Join in with your base group and pick something to do 
to build meaningful relationships with those that are outside the family of God. Our God is a missionary God that pursues sinners, and he does it through you, his church. Do something together with your base group that you can build meaningful relationships. And again, on this point, like, I know, um, time, family, right? My first question is this. If this is Bible, do we have a choice? My second question is this. As you're discipling your kids, as you're raising them up in the, the discipline and instruction of the Lord, isn't it kind of important that they see you following Jesus on the Great Commission? If not, what are we teaching our kids? If I'm teaching my kids what it looks like to follow Jesus, who was called a friend of sinners, then it seems like my kids need to see mommy and daddy being a friend of sinners too. And, and, and family, hear me. I don't want to be dismissive of the real struggle it can be to balance time, family, and all of our responsibilities. But I do want to push back on the idea that fulfilling our family obligations and living out our missional calling is somehow exclusive, like you can do one or the other. Doesn't the same Bible call us to do both? And moreover, if I do mission together in community and we bring our family along, I just killed like three birds with one stone, right? I just led my family well. I just discipled my kid in the way of Jesus. I just lived in community and I lived on mission and I did it all together at one time. If I'm going to raise my kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, then that instruction must include how our loving missionary God pursues sinners. And then, lastly on that, if this is Bible, can you imagine how satisfying, joy-producing, self-denying, God-glorifying it would be to live like that, constantly engaged in what God has been doing for thousands and thousands of years as he has sought to rescue broken humanity. I'll close with this just one more time reading this verse. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray.